0: I'm Selena Sage, and Live Free is for our collective liberation. Namaste and welcome. The inspiration arose to record this episode following some contemplations that I've done on the first wonderful Instantly Zen event. I have so much gratitude for the participants because when you have a group of people that are engaged collectively in this experience of awakening, there's this additional magic that flows. And I think, you know, based on the feedback that I've received, overall, the participants really had this true recognition of their true nature, which was the whole point, which is wonderful. However, I did also receive feedback um, from people that had no idea about Zen and really wanted to learn more. And so I'm rethinking the instantly Zen sharing process because I think that feedback is really valuable and there's a lot to be gained by having even just an introduction to Zen. And so that's what I'm looking at providing um, in the start of the year just a a new session to kind of provide some general grounding in what Zen is. And I think it helps to frame the experience based on this wisdom. It's not necessary, but I think it can really promote the deepening of the understanding of that experience of Kensho, which is this glimpsing into one's true nature. So today I thought I would use this episode to provide what I consider to be three perspectives of Zen. And I've made this decision based on some current readings that I've done that were really inspiring. And I'll be quoting from three books. The first book is The Zen Teaching of Bodhidharma. And Bodhidharma is really seen as the founder of Zen. He's credited with bringing Buddhism to China. And that mix of, of Buddhism and Taoism is what resulted in Chian Buddhism, which later became known as Zen Buddhism. Zen in China, uh, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Zen in Japan. <laughs> it was called Zen in Japan after it came from China. But Zen itself is this more mystical path that really is this instantaneous recognition. And although Zen is often defined in terms of meditation, and that was certainly part of what Bodhidharma is known for, Zen itself is this recognition of one's true nature. And it's something that can be experienced, well, instantly. Uh, So I'll also quote from Rupert Spira, who is this really brilliant teacher of non-duality. And he doesn't call himself Zen, but when I was reading his book, The Transparency of Things, there was such an overlap that I thought it would be really valuable to bring in his perspective and uh, just in the past week, I had the amazing opportunity to join one of his webinars. He's a living master, so that was really cool to be able to have that personal experience with the living master live, and finally, I'll quote from my fourth book, which is Haiku to be Free, and I think in the three messages that you'll See from from these books and the different styles of the authors, and if certainly I can speak to my style. This will be in a, a haiku form. There's a there's a connectivity between the messages, and one thing I really feel about Zen is that the method of teaching has really changed based on the times, and so you have someone like Bodhidharma who had this direct transmission and to me he just he just says it and I'll you know quote from his book to show that and then zen kind of morphed into this use of koans which are these you know really grand questions like what is the sound of one hand clapping that was used to awaken students and my own first book meditative questions is written in that Zen koan style. There's just one question per page with a page of color for contemplation in the same way a Zen koan is used, was used in, in a certain time and actually still in, in certain Zen schools. And then you had um, Bankei, who I love, a Japanese Zen master who had this direct transmission of the unborn. And then you have modern masters like Rupert Spiro or Sri Muji who are communicating the messages that are to me the same as Zen, but from this Advaita non-duality perspective. And what I take from this is that truth is really truth. And once we recognize what these messages mean, it becomes possible to see the truth from all of these different masters. And so that's what I uh, hope to share a little bit today by, by sharing these writings. So I'd like to actually start with a passage from the uh, the Zen teaching of Bodhidharma, just to provide a historical context first, uh, with a little bit of his teaching, and then share another passage of one of his you know, direct teachings. So the book questions, you know, why is Bodhidharma the most famous of all of the millions of monks who have studied and taught Dharma in China? And... Says the reason is it because he alone is credited with bringing Zen to China. Of course, Zen as meditation had been taught and practiced for several hundred years before Bodhidharma, B- Bodhidharma arrived. And actually, much of what he said concerning the doctrine had been said before, a hundred years earlier. But Bodhidharma's approach to Zen was unique. As he says in these sermons, seeing your true nature is Zen. Not thinking about anything is Zen. Everything you do is Zen. While others viewed Zen as purification of the mind or as a stage on the way to Buddhahood, Bodhidharma equated Zen with Buddhahood and Buddhahood with the mind, the everyday mind. Instead of telling his disciples to purify their minds, he pointed them to rock walls, to the movements of tigers and cranes, to a hollow reed floating across the Yangtze River, to a single sandal. Bodhidharma's Zen was Mayahana Zen, not Hinayana Zen, (laughs) the sword of wisdom, not the meditation cushion. He used the sword... That Prajnatara, his master, had given him to cut their minds free from rules, trances, and scriptures. Such a sword, though, is hard to grasp and hard to use. But such radical understanding of Zen didn't originate with Bodhidharma or with Prajnatara. It is said that one day Brahma, lord of creation, offered the Buddha a flower and asked him to preach the Dharma when the Buddha held up the flower and it looks like my screenshot cut that off again okay (laughs) when the Buddha held up the flower his audience was puzzled except for Kashyapa, who smiled this is how Zen began and this is how it was transmitted with a flower with a rock wall with a shout This approach, once it was made known by Bodhidharma and his successors, revolutionized the understanding and practice of Buddhism in China. So this is, I think, a wonderful summary of a little bit of the the history of Zen. And Bodhidharma is known for staring at a rock wall for nine years. (laughs) So... Um, and it, in fact, he is also seen as a father of Shaolin and Kung Fu because that occurred at Mount Song where the first Shaolin temple was was built. So he had this revolutionary approach, not only through the meditation, but through his sermons, like when he said, seeing your nature is Zen, not thinking about anything is Zen. Everything you do is Zen. That's a direct transmission of Of truth and so he combined very uniquely this practice of meditation with this direct transmission which is very different from the other I think more traditional Buddhist path which is all about really purifying oneself to almost to be worthy of that enlightenment or to be clear enough to recognize the enlightenment The direct transmission of Zen, it says it doesn't really matter, you know, what you've done, what you think, what you what you say, what you truly are is always the same. And recognizing the truth of your true nature is available to everyone immediately. It just requires that that recognition. And this summary by the author is um a little bit different than what I would say because in in this description he he says that he equated buddhahood with the mind the everyday mind and I actually feel that bodhidharma was talking about mind in in two ways the mind that we we come to know as the mind of our personal identification, which I call the little mind with the little M and then the Buddha mind, capital M mind, which is this conscious observer, which recognizes and sees the mind, beholds the mind. And that to me is what Bodhidharma was really referring to. And so now I'd like to share a quote from that same book, the Zen teaching of Bodhidharma to illustrate that point. And then the future passages I'll read will you know all be about this exploration of what mind really means. So Bodhidharma says in one of his sermons: if you don't use your mind to create mind, every state of mind is empty. Every state of mind is empty, and every thought is still. So again, you have him using mind twice. And that can be a little confusing, but if you think about it as recognizing that it is your Buddha mind, this conscious observation, this awareness itself that is giving birth to the little mind through its attention, then it makes sense. So again, it says, if you don't use your mind to create mind, every state of mind is empty and every thought is still. So if you don't use your Buddha mind to create your little in mind, which, you know, if you think of it as any thought, feeling, emotion, perception, memory, image, imagination, that is the mind. And actually, Rupert Spira has a beautiful definition, which I'll share next. But that is that is one per- you know, definition of the mind. It's everything that really defines who you think you are as a person. It's all of it's just collection of thoughts, perceptions. So if you don't use your Buddha mind to create that little mind with attention, then essentially you are of no mind. So your little in mind, your personal mind is empty and every thought is still. If you even have a thought, you know, there's, there's really nothing there once you're moving your full attention into that buddha mind which is this broader conscious awareness that gives birth to the mind so bodhidharma is pointing to that directly and when we understand this you know what the mind is and this use of of mind for both the you know the little mind which i call you know again that personal identification and the big mind the buddha mind um, also known as the god self as awareness itself, you know, from that perspective, then you you recognize that it is that Buddha mind that's giving birth to the, the little the in little mind. And when you identify as the Buddha mind, which is also you, and that Zen recognition makes you aware that you're both the observer and the observed. So when you ab- identify as the Buddha mind, you don't suffer all of the creations of that little mind. In fact, those all dissolve. They, they don't exist. So this was Bodhidharma's teaching, and Rupert Spira, who I find to be very brilliant, almost scientific in the way that he describes non-duality and, and this, you know, in this transmission of truth. But he's also based from this perspective of of experiencing it and to me that is really what zen is is all about it's like you you get it from either this direct transmission that you get from a master which i feel so fortunate to have received from Sri muji that just that immediate experience or also this you know taking you through this this path of recogn- recognition of this truth Transmission through these through these words or through Zen koans, which is also a way to awaken to the truth. And instantly Zen is certainly a version of that. So Rupert Spira says, there is no mind. Mind is simply the current thought. If there is a current thought, and a current thought cannot do anything or explore anything any more than a lamppost can do or explore anything. This is really, really beautiful. There is no mind. So, you know, so often we think of mind from a physical context of like, you know, the brain. Or even when we think of mind as I described it initially as this collection of thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, perceptions, images, imaginations for the future none of that can occur simultaneously you're only processing one thought one perception one emotion one feeling at a time and even though sometimes it seems to all happen at once it's actually just this rapid fire succession of simultaneous thoughts feelings and emotions that are creating this you know this feeling and so when Rupert Spire says mind is simply the current thought that is perfect because you're only having one thought at a time and so if there is no current thought then you can be said to be be in no mind it's also called being in flow you know if you if you're not having any you're not giving any attention to all of those thoughts feelings emotions perceptions you have in a sense transcended the mind itself And Rupert goes on to say, a current thought cannot do anything or explore anything any more than a lamppost can do or explore anything. And this is really great because he's highlighting through this analogy that thoughts don't really have any power. You know, a thought doesn't doesn't do anything unless you give it attention and then once you give it attention if you start believing that thought then all of a sudden it has power and so without that though a thought is just nothing it's like a cloud passing in the sky and if you recognize that you are the sky and that the sky is is actually not affected by any of the clouds you realize that you don't have to be affected by any thoughts it is purely your attention to those thoughts and belief in those thoughts that makes them real. And so I'll wrap my, my Zen tour with a passage from my fourth book, Haiku to be free, which is available for free when you subscribe at zentalbooks.com or at instantlyzen.com. I'm happy to share this collection of Haiku that I wrote. And, you know, now when I, look back at this book, which I wrote earlier this year, I realized that the haiku were a way for me to try to find the words to describe the unnameable, this awareness, this changeless, unborn, true nature. And it's, you know, there's so many haiku that I wrote in a short amount of time, because it is practically impossible to describe it. But here's the haiku that I um, thought of for this conversation from the book. We think we are it, but the being, capital B, has no mind. It gives mind lowercase n power. So the first line of that haiku, we think we are it. And by this, I meant that we, the person, the personal identity, we think that we are it. We think we are the ultimate, the, the truest expression of ourselves. And so often when people grapple with, you know, what is your true nature? So often it's it's wrapped up in descriptions of the person. My true nature is being a good person. And it sort of misses the point that your true nature is beyond the person. And the reason why this sentence makes makes sense, uh, at least to me, we think we are it is that it's, it's radically untrue because only thinking happens in the personal identity. So when, when you read that sentence, it's, it's coming across that we as the person think we are it because only the person is doing this thinking. But the second line is, but the being has no mind. So the being, this awareness, this conscious observer, this consciousness itself, doesn't have a mind. It is just pure awareness. And the last line, it gives mind power. It means that through the awareness, the attention on the mind, on any thought that we have, and the belief in that thought, you know, those powers. Of identification, attention, and belief, which were taught to me by Sri Muji as, as just this mind-blowing revelation that these are our three powers. You know, we get to choose, we get to identify as either the person or as this awareness. We have this power of giving our attention to something. When the awareness gives its attention to something, that automatically gives it power. And then be- belief supercharges that attention. Because now we're believing whatever that thought, feeling, or emotion, or perception as true because of that power of belief. So again, this sentence is, it gives mind power. It's saying that the being, the awareness, is what gives the mind, the little mind, of the person power. We think we are it, but the being has no mind It gives mind power. And then Rupert Spire again, he said, there is no mind. Mind is simply the current thought, if there is a current thought. And Bodhidharma says, if you don't use your mind to create mind, every state of mind is empty and every thought is still. So hopefully you can see the you know the the commonality in those three readings, those three teachings. And when Bodhidharma says every state of mind is empty and every thought is still, to me, that is a perfect description of peace. And that is why shorthand I often say Zen is peace. So these are just the lessons that accompany the experience of this recognition. And once you have that recognition, which is what I, I hope to continue to share with these Instantly Zen events and sessions, is for you to have that recognition yourself. And as I continue to look through the best way of doing that, I'll certainly announce new events and sessions that will be upcoming and certainly by um, January of, of next year, I'm looking ahead to kind of launch this introduction to Zen session followed by three or four additional you know, shorter sessions to dig deeper into this, to have the experience and then to really live it. Be- because once you're operating as awareness itself, you're living beyond space and time as the masters do and this is something that is available to us all and it's certainly experience that i wish to share with you (laughs) so as always i thank you so very much for being here and i wish you happy holidays and i look forward to connecting with you very soon i'll leave my contact information in the notes my email and social media and you're welcome to reach out so thank you again for being here namaste